Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Oh, that's great. So we, uh, last week, or two weeks ago, uh, discussed Maundy Thursday. We did. And now we're kind of diving into this idea of, you know, we've had Easter. Yes. Um, and kind of what happens after that. Yes. Because kind of sort of famously, the disciples, poof, <laughs> yep. they go all, every which way. They're gone. We have the women hunker at the tomb. Down. They hunker down. They're like, I just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's too hot in here for me. Uh, the women are at the tomb, but then mm-hmm. we kind of don't really hear much from them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's amazing if you think about it, we get from that to modern Christianity. Exactly. So how did it all not just <laughs> What happened com- in between? What happened in between? How did it not completely fall apart right then and there? It's amazing. It's an incredible I think it's an incredibly important question. Yeah. Because you're right, you know, we we go from these powerful stories of betrayal and community disintegration and death. Mm-hmm. And then uh suddenly the church. <laughs> Ta-da. <laughs> Um, how did that happen? Right. Exactly. Right. Uh, so a couple of thoughts about this, mm-hmm. because my, my personal feeling has been that um, these so-called post-Easter stories, mm-hmm. where Jesus interacts with his disciples, uh, he appears to them. I mean, we just have, need to stop and have a little moment here. Yeah. <laughs> because this is a person who was dead, who now appears not just once, but apparently a few times. He's hanging out for a while. There's a long period here. I mean, not super long, but there's yeah. a period where he interacts with these, first of all, with Mary Magdalene at the tomb. And then he appears to the disciples where they're in their hideout right. because they've locked the doors. And he walks through a wall in order to interact with them there. I'm just picturing, to me, the disciples are kind of the avatar for us. <laughs> right. They're just, they're kind of disasters and they never say the right thing. They're always like, wait, what? The what? 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 <laughs> you know, there's a little like, is, is there a time with the seven dwarves? Possibly. Um, but, you know, and I just see them just panicking, just like constantly panicking <laughs> in, in the gospel I, I mean that very endearing of course very right because we can identify with them in yeah. the gospel of luke and you know, a few of the followers there they, they have an interaction with jesus it's when they're walking away from the city yeah they're not hanging around no they're, right it's time to go they're hightailing it exactly got it and jesus intercepts them <laughs> and they walk along with him and they don't recognize him right it's that's a, always the interesting yeah i feel like is that's that's a very common so Element, what's, right? what's interesting in these stories is that, you know, there's so much mystery here, which is why I think these are such really enjoyable stories, mm-hmm. but there is this tendency, I think, in a way to kind of pass over them, yeah. you know, get right on into the next, whatever the church is doing yeah. right, in April or May. Yes. And, um, but to your point, you know, Mary Magdalene, when she meets Jesus following the resurrection, she doesn't recognize him initially. Mm-hmm. Now it's dark. Who knows what else is going on, right? But uh, he, she thinks he's the gardener, and so you know, are you the one who took his body? I mean, yeah, what you do? She doesn't really. She's trying to pull all this together, yeah. and likewise, those group, you know, that small group of, of followers, um, 
they interact with Jesus, they walk along, they don't recognize him. It's only when the meal happens. Something triggers the recognition for Jesus and Mary Magdalene. She, he says her name. Mm-hmm. And then she says, Ravuni, you know, rabbi mm-hmm. in Hebrew. And uh, likewise, when the, uh, when the small group of um, disciples finally recognize Jesus, it's when they sit down at a meal. Yeah. And then he vanishes. Gone. Let them pay for it. (laughs) Right? And there's another story of, you know, so-called his ascension, which is not necessarily a a story that's given a high amount of regard in our tradition, Mm -hmm. but where he's with them and then he's not with them. He ascends into heaven. Mm -hmm. So what is going on here, right? As you say, why why didn't this movement just collapse in on itself? Mm -hmm. The Jesus movement wasn't the only gathering at this time. right? Right. So, so I guess I, I have a couple thoughts about this just to sprinkle those into our conversation. I love it. Here Do we it. go. So part, part thought number one, first of all, is that something happened in the life of this community that instead of the community disintegrating, this thing galvanized the community. Mm-hmm. It gave them a reason to continue with one another. It gave them courage to continue and of course, from it, uh, th- it became even stronger and more powerful. Mm-hmm. So that's my first observation. Okay. However awful the death and the crucifixion were, and they were, um, it wasn't the end of the story. Right. So that's interesting. And I would say that the key to that question about what happened is somehow contained in these mysterious stories. Okay. And the problem with these stories is that we don't really like to talk them about them a lot, I think, in our churches because they have this element of the supernatural. Yeah. Right? Right. So I, I always think when I'm introducing a story to the congregation after Easter, and I'm saying, well, in one of Jesus' post-resurrection experiences, like I'm talking about a time he met the disciples on the bus, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's this remarkable, out of our mind, mm-hmm. out of the body experience, and we treat it like it's normal yeah right it's it's pretty odd it is yeah and it wasn't normal for those disciples right Mm -hmm. it was shocking for them right but actually shockingly good so that it's it was enough to pull them together and to continue so much so that the appearances didn't need to continue what whatever Mm -hmm. happened in that moment Mm It's like it, it was an infusion, a booster shot of something mm-hmm. into these disciples, which has then managed to carry itself over from generation to generation. So in early college, I took a <clears throat> early Christian history class, mm-hmm. much of which went quite over my head, I will admit, <laughs> or I wasn't paying attention. What has stuck with me? A few things, but the one that applies in this moment is that a lot of the disciples, forgive me, please correct me if I remember this incorrectly, was that they believe that the second coming of Jesus mm-hmm. or this sort of heaven on earth, it has goes by so many names, mm-hmm. would be imminent, mm-hmm. would be in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, what impact do you think that had? So I think you see that or hear that voice in the letters of Paul. Okay. Because that's something I think he very clearly seems to have believed. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, actually, the letters, uh, to show you how confusing the chronology is, the letters that we have from Paul writing to these little congregations around the Mediterranean were actually written before the Gospels. Okay. So the gospel stories come later. Come later. Right? Now, he does talk about the resurrection. You know, he writes extensively in one of his letters about it. But he is really believing that this is a time for people to uh, clarify their lives and act accordingly because of that change. However, as you read along in his letters, and that's not happening, Mm -hmm. you can see that his time frame is changing. Interesting. And in a way that urgency starts to dissolve, very slowly dissolve, because he he really begins to grasp, oh, we're in this for the long haul. Yeah. Right? Right. And how many times in the last 2,000 years have people advocated for the end of it all? Right. Right? Which only turned out to be yet another transition moment. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're right. That was very much alive and at large. And um, it's interesting because in the appearances that Jesus makes to his disciples, you don't really have him communicating that kind of urgency. It's more about, I'm going ahead of you to meet you there. Or he says, peace be with you. Or look at my side where I was wounded. Look at my hands. He's wounded. Mm -hmm. And so from those stories, the church has taken strength and courage to meet the challenges and in a way, that early urgency that it's all going to come to an end soon, it starts to drop away. Right. Right. It right. no longer has the fuel to carry the meaning and the message. Right. The church needed something else. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I remember part of that conversation was talking about how the um, traditions where celibacy is is very is prioritized that that sort of is the start of that because they were mm-hmm. they were not marrying they mm-hmm. were not focusing on the earthly life right. they were really focusing on their religious and spiritual lives and so that's sort of when the that kind of thing started and that's sort of the, the sort of outcrop of that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. in the bible in the gospels what what do we get after the resurrection story so we get mm-hmm. jesus coming back yes and then ascension. Mm-hmm. Do, what, do we have anything after that? I should know this. I don't. <laughs> it's a fantastic question. Thanks. <laughs> um, so the one thing uh, I'll give you as, as one little example of what the church gets. So the gospel according to Mark um, has what some people have called a dangling ending. <laughs> cliffhanger? (laughs) It's a cliffhanger. Oh, exciting. And actually the last word in the gospel, uh, is, is the English word for, it says, and they were so terrified for, yes. (laughs) (laughs) What's next? Oh no. (laughs) And that, and it ends. And it ends. That's it. Yeah. Oh no. And, and so modern translations have tidied it up a little bit, but it sort of ends with the words and they were terrified, which seems like an odd way to end a story that's supposed to be your good news message to the world. It's, it's awkward. It's that's, really that's, awkward. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, actually there was another ending eventually added on and okay. then another ending after that. Oh goodness. Yeah. So they just kept, you know, it's like new and improved. Yeah. Um, but it goes to show that even even there, there's uncertainty about how do you bring closure to this thing? 
Right. Right. Um, the other gospels treat it differently. And I would say the, the one gospel that's most interesting in terms of, yeah. So what happens after the resurrection, mm -hmm. after the appearances, what goes on next? Yeah. That's the gospel according to Luke. Okay. Because his is truly a two volume work. And Aha. so you read Luke, you must then read Acts because it's believed that he was the author of both. Okay. And when you get Acts, then you have the the new infusion of energy into the life of the church isn't the bodily appearance of Jesus meeting his disciples again. Yeah. It's the spirit. Okay. And Luke spends a lot of time referencing the spirit. Mm -hmm. It's invisible. It's alive. It's at large. You can't contain it. Mm -hmm. You can't control it. Right. But it's there. And that's what the church depends upon as it moves forward in its work, this essential intangible of the spirit. Mm -hmm. So what becomes mysterious after Jesus' death, his appearances, mm -hmm. I would say becomes even more mysterious mm -hmm. after that because mm -hmm. now we have the spirit. And how do we work with that? So that was going to be my next question, because if you look in the hymnal, which mm -hmm. is organized in a vaguely organized way, but that you have sort of the, the, the God section at the beginning and then you have the Jesus section yes. and like life and ministry. Yes. And then you get to the Holy Week section. You got it. You have the Monday, Thursday, with the good Friday. It's very handy. And then you get the Easter. <laughs> and then right after, if you turn the page from, from resurrection. Yep. Pentecost. Right. That's all we get. Right there. It's just the same piece of paper just right. the other side of it so where does pentecost fall and i know we are going to do a pentecost episode mm -hmm. so foreshadowing can't wait um but where does that fall in our in our story like how soon after i guess or like roughly you yeah. know 50 days 50 oh well there you go <laughs> that <for> precision. <laughs> now it is right now it is so we go from passover and pentecost was an agricultural festival what? Yeah. So it was a time when people came together to celebrate this agricultural festival. And this is, again, sometime 50 days after Passover. Okay. And uh, it's it becomes, it, it, as it's described in Luke's volume two, uh -huh. the book of Acts, uh -huh. you've got Jewish people from all over the world, is the way he wants you to, to think about this, right. as coming together for this great Pentecostal celebration. And what happens, of course, is that there's a disruption, an interruption. The spirit um, enters the party, and suddenly everyone, uh, all of these people who speak different languages suddenly have a common understanding. Right. 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 So that's part of the mystery of that. Mm -hmm. And there, it's as if there are little tongues of fire dancing right. above people's heads. And that, that moment is often seen by Christian people as the birthday of the church. Okay. That's when the church forms. Mm -hmm. Not everybody sees things that way, but something, something galvanized the community. Mm -hmm. What was that something? Right. And the story that Luke is suggesting is it's something the church couldn't fabricate, manufacture, create, or control, namely the spirit. Okay. And, you know, I think you were asking a great question in one of our episodes about the Trinity, right? Yeah. Right? God, the creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, where there's one, you meet all three. Mm -hmm. So where the spirit is present, you're still meeting the creative energy of God. You're right. still meeting the loving energy of Jesus. Right. But now the spirit is the great unifier, mm -hmm. blends all of these disparate people together into a new movement, you know, mm -hmm. or maybe it's fair to say reanimates the movement that looked like it was kind of on its last legs. Right, right. And then, and then the spirit has a very prominent place in the stories that go forward in Christian right. life. The spirit is such an interesting thing because it's so intangible and that yeah. we as humans have given it so many symbols mm, to it. We have right. the fire, uh -huh. we have wind, the dove, the dove. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many different things to, ex to try to contain and explain yeah. this idea of the spirit. Yeah. Um, I like, I like the word you use a lot, which is the energy. Mm. Um, and I don't know. You don't, I don't think you always mean the spirit when you say that, but I think it's, it's there. But a good part of the time I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, that's a word that I do love. And I think using that word energy of life mm -hmm. and ca I, I sort of see the E capitalized and the L capitalized. Okay. And that is a universal energy. Right. And I think that, you know, in some ways to think about Christianity as a universal religion makes sense when we start to think about that emphasis on the spirit. Right. right? And that is something we do have in common with other religions. Right. Right. So in terms of that spiritual energy, mm -hmm. um, Jesus becomes a way of manifesting that. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's uh, it's really the spirit that underlies everything. And it's the spirit that's present at the very beginning of the book of Genesis. Right. When the creation's kind of messy. Right. Chaotic. It's the spirit that's there brooding to think about, I wonder what I could do with this. Yeah. Right. It's that uh, that wonderful. So so spirit and breath are the same word in Hebrew and the same word in Greek. Mm -hmm. So it's um, it, it really helps to see the basic quality of our lives as connected to that that larger what we call the holy and the ordinary holy in and the ordinary. hey right nice, nice callback <laughs> i had never thought about the spirit being present omnipresent if you will mm. in in any of those stories because i feel like you know in kind of in the stories that i guess i was told as a child it sort of starts on pentecost mm -hmm. and sort of you know, creator, Christ and Holy Spirit, it's sort of in chronological order. Right, that's right. <laughs> you know how they have movies in order of appearance? I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like movie credits in order of appearance. <laughs> that's right. I think that's exactly how the church has portrayed them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sort of this newfangled <laughs> idea. Oh, there's a spirit. And I love the, I love thinking about this way that it's, we've, we've always had all, <clears throat> and there's just a different presentations and expressions of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the early, some of the early Christian fathers, as they're called, but those St. Augustine and others, you know, they, they could go a little far with this because then <laughs> they started to read back into some of these Hebrew Bible stories and see Jesus everywhere. Yeah. Right. Because they did, they, in a sense, they had this, the good sense was that in the Trinity, all these energies are commingled. Mm -hmm. Right. But uh, Jesus was not really around, you know, when, <laughs> in the same form, let's put it this way, mm -hmm. when these stories are being talked about. Right. So it's, uh, it's interesting to think of it being, um, 
all of these energies intertwined, moving with one another, a dynamic working all the way through history. Mm-hmm. You know, that's really a fascinating thought. So when we're talking about these post-resurrection stories, are a lot of these stories happening at the same time that the Gospels or New Testament books that were eventually codified are being written? Mm. Is this kind of all happening at the same time? So <clears throat> I get the sense that these stories have been communicated orally mm-hmm. for some years okay. before they're being written and codified. Uh-huh. Depending on the particular gospel um, and who's making the argument, some of these stories are being communicated orally for 70 to 90 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which That's is a long period of time. A really long time. And 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 during that period of time, the letters of Paul are being circulated, mm-hmm. so that they're they're alive and at large. Mm-hmm. But what if the Gospel of John, as some people think, is not being written until ninety years after Jesus died? Right. A lot has happened in that time. Yeah. First of all, it's amazing that the movement has continued for that long. Mm-hmm. But again, what galvanized it? Right. Right. Especially when. You know, if it's true, as the stories indicate, that the that the disciples really uh, scattered, right? Right. So that's kind of interesting, and um, so it makes it it makes me really think about what is the intangible energy that's going on here at this mm-hmm. time to help this community uh, not to blow away from the face of the earth, right? And still do its its loving, caring work. It's fascinating to me how, if you you know, if you look. Back in history, at this period, it seems like, oh, these are a short amount of times, so but then you compare them to now and mm. use the, use these time periods, and you're like, no, that was a really long time ago. You know, that, yeah. that 90 years, or then, mm. and wasn't the Bible then in itself with the the official the official books sort of selected? That was 300 years later. It was, it was away as a couple of hundred years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been really interested in like the books that didn't make the cut. Oh, yes. I'm really into that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to do a separate episode on them. We will have fun. Yes. Yes. Dead Sea Scrolls and everything. You bet. Yes. We're bringing it all. I mean, it really speaks to like the, the <laughs> this is my opinion, the futility of banning books. Right. Because it's like, no, I want to go on now. I really want to go read that. <laughs> because somebody saved them. Right. You're right. Because right. somebody was like, well, oh, I just you- happen to have these in the attic. <laughs> Or if anybody's interested in them. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have, actually have a, cost, a copy of the Gnostic Bible. Sure. Just like hanging out in my house. Right. <laughs> there is uh, there is a new translation of the Bible called the New New Testament. Yeah. That includes those texts. Really? Right along with all of the ones that we typically read from. And there's, we're talking. there's an expansion of the whole understanding. Yeah. Right? It feels just anti-establishment enough for me. I'm like, I'm really into well, it. Well, we'll help you with that. We'll see. We'll give, we'll give some encouragement to that side of you. Right? Oh, excellent. Now, now, this is kind of Bible study I can get behind. <laughs> At last. <laughs> yeah. The director of music being like, eh. <laughs> now we're talking. We got you hooked. <laughs> but it's just so, it's like, it's. we were talking, I think, like a month ago now about how you know, the Psalms, mm. right? You read you read some of these stories that are a little on the drier side. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the Psalms and you're like, wow, there's a lot of emotion there. Right. Oh my gosh. Everything you know. that one could possibly feel. It's like that. It's contained. Right? <laughs> it's like that. 
And I, I, in some ways, that's true of these gospel stories towards the end of Jesus' life. Uh, it's not to say they're not true before that, but especially all that material we have of his last week of his life. Mm-hmm. And then let's just say the first few days after the resurrection, mm-hmm. it's the whole gamut of emotion. Yeah. It's, it's the worst grief imaginable. It's the most amazing exaltation imaginable right. and everything in between. Right. It's and, and with Shakespearean comedy of errors of oh. mistaken identity thrown in to spice things up. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and one of the things that I guess I would most want to say about these post-resurrection stories, there's so much healing in them. Hmm. And a lot of those stories are about the forgiveness that Jesus extends to his disciples because they must be guilt-ridden. And so there's real care taken to offer love and to commission them to go forward because otherwise the weight of the past would be too much to bear. Mm -hmm. I think this is a really great message for all of us. We all have something in our past we carry with us that feels like a weight that we just can never leave. And here's Jesus saying, I love you. He repeats it in one case multiple times, uh, asks his disciples if they continue to love him. He feeds them. He walks with them. He gives them some counsel. When, the, when, he, when it really comes time for him to leave and this spirit begins to be more active, they know a lot by this time. Mm-hmm. They've got enough to go on. And the, and the movement's been going on ever since. That's amazing. Well, thank you for diving into this lesser discussed part mm. of the of the Easter story. So we wish you all a wonderful week and we see you back here next week. Roundhill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Roundhill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org. <laughs>